Welcome to Identity Masters, an authentic podcast where we explore all things identity and how to increase the security of the internet. Hi everyone, my name is Milda and I'm the head of marketing at Authentech. At Authentech, we believe that identity verification, digital authentication, and KYC should be powered by AI and done in real time. We also believe that knowledge around the subject of security should be completely democratized. Therefore, I'd like to welcome you to our first ever Crypto Talk. So 2020 was a big year for crypto. Headlines featuring stories about Estonia revoking licenses from 500 crypto companies, Bitcoin reaching its all-time high, high-profile Twitter accounts compromised in the Bitcoin scam, and the call for tighter Know Your Customer KYC or anti-money laundering AML regulations mark some of ups and downs in the crypto space. To tackle the uncertainties in this young yet extremely prosperous industry, we decided to gather four experts in crypto, blockchain, and privacy space to discuss what went down in 2020 and what the crypto community might expect for 2021. Therefore, with no further ado, I'd like to introduce you to our panel. So first of all, I'd like to introduce Nina Luisa Siedler. Hi there. She's a partner at DWF. Nina is a business lawyer with more than 20 years of experience in advising on corporate and finance transactions. During the past five years, she focused on blockchain and DLT projects. Nina is a founding member of the German Blockchain Association, is the director of INATBA, an EU Commission-initiated industry association, Science of Berlin, and serves as an expert panel of the EU Blockchain Observatory and Forum and the Unidroy Digital Assets Working Group. She is the co-editor of a magazine at ZDIW that focuses on law of digital, digital economy and is the chairperson on the board of directors of Think Block Tank, a legal think tank for Bitcoin experts. Welcome, Nina. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. I'd also like to uh, welcome Sardar Bizi. Hi. Uh, a CEO of Tycoon. Uh, Sardar has been trading successfully in the Forex and stock market since 2013. After recognizing the potential of cryptocurrencies, he focused almost exclusively on trading Bitcoin. And this passion became his overarching goal in 2018 with the founding of Tycoon. Tycoon.io serves as a secure interface between professional crypto traders and end users. Welcome, Sardar. Welcome. Thanks. And I'd also like to welcome Dennis Toon, a co-founder of MobyDAX. Uh, Dennis has been working with tech startups since 2007, and after a decade, he shifted his passion to distributed ledger technology software development in early 2017. Dennis has worked in the US, Thailand, and Russia before co-founding his last three startups in Ukraine. Currently, uh, Dennis is focused on continuous improvement of the most advanced open source project for deploying a crypto trading platform, Piatio, while developing a suite of compatible commercial products. Welcome, Dennis. Thank you for the intro, I appreciate it. And last but not least, I'd like to introduce my colleague, Carly Sheridan. She's a writer, editor, and communications specialist. And her experience ranges from working as a journalist in Canada and South America for lifestyle publications to working as a director of content and communications for blockchain companies. And now Carly is consulting several startups across Europe. 
At Authentech, um, Carly is focusing on content marketing. So with no further ado, I'm really excited for Carly to take over this discussion and uh, take it away. Thank you so much, Melda. So let's just jump right into it. As Melda just mentioned, um, Bitcoin has reached historic highs. In fact, the total market capitalization of all cryptocurrencies increased by a factor of 3.3 times last year. And as we all know, Bitcoin in the last just few months has, got, has gone kind of crazy. Sadar, maybe we'll start with you. What do you attribute this kind of incredible hike to? So this is a question which you get asked a lot in the last few weeks uh, and months, let's say it like this. Uh, and the answer mostly is, is very simple. So it just does what it what is meant to be doing. I speak about Bitcoin, especially right now, uh, all the altcoin situation and whatsoever is different and more complicated than uh, this. But if we take Bitcoin as a measurement, uh, it just started the same hype, which it is used to do every four years. I mean, it was 2013, 2017, 2021. It's not a big surprise. Until it happened, it was still not a 100% certain uh, certainty, which is never there in trading, as you uh, maybe know or maybe have heard, because I think 2020 was different than, let's say, 2016. So 2016 seemed very boring uh, against 2020 in case of uh, world excitement and whatsoever. So it was not clear if that situations will have any kind of impact on the situation and if which impact it's going to have. I'm pretty sure we saw that it had had an impact when last year in, in March, Bitcoin dropped from about $9,000 to $10,000 to around $4,000 um, very, very quickly. So I think that was the biggest dump in a week, um, which we had in the last 10 years or whatsoever. Quickly recovered back. And after hitting $20,000, uh, it just happened what we said in the last four years or what at least I and my team said in the last three to four years, as soon as 20K is done, um, the hype will come back. But we see that this bull run is different than the last bull run. And also, this is not a surprise. And um, we all knew it before that it's going to happen. But in the end, it's like Christmas on the 24th. Everyone is surprised <laughs> that they need some, some, uh, some gifts still. This time, the bull run is driven completely by institutions. As you can also see in the stats, as you can also see by Grayscale and other hedge funds um, and incoming ETFs and upcoming regulations and whatsoever. So this bull run until now is uh, driven by institutions. And as we know, institutions mostly have more money than retail uh, investors. So I expect this bull run to be much more aggressive than the last one. Um, and in case of uh, total values, uh, if we want to do it in a, in a perspective, uh, I just have the chart open here. This time it took Bitcoin exactly 20 days to make a jump, which is as high as the all-time high, which it reached in 10 years. So it, it reached 20K in 10 years. And this time it just took three weeks or something uh, for Bitcoin to gain $20,000 in price. And yeah, I think we're still early. This is what a real scarce asset can do. And I think we are uh, way at the beginning and have some, some way to go in the long-term future of the price evaluation of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency itself. It will be really interesting to see what happens. I've seen reports ranging from like, it will crash once again to it will reach up to 146 thousand. So mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are really anxiously watching this space. I'm wondering, I also come from a 
a blockchain background. And in 2016, 2015, there was kind of a, a surge of investment in the space. I'm wondering maybe Nina or Dennis having more experience in the just distributed ledger technology space. Do you think that the Bitcoin pricing, the Bitcoin pricing increasing will lead to a revival of sorts of blockchain use cases and funding as well? If I may, yeah, um, absolutely. Um, there will be a lot of projects which have more liquidity available right now. That's for sure. And yes, I also believe that uh, this might lead to uh, further uh, ventures uh, starting to think about ICOs again. But uh, I, I would like to stress that the, at least the legal situation um, nowadays differs very much from 2016-17, right? So um, I think um, the, the rules are clear by now. And um, I think also that the regulators would watch such a development very, very closely this time. So yes, uh, on the one hand, uh, it gives more liquidity to projects uh, which had already accumulated a couple of Bitcoin. Um, and it also raises interest. Um, but on the other hand, I don't expect um, that craziness and hype to repeat as we saw it in 2017. And Dennis, what, what would yeah, you say? Do you expect the same? Yeah, if, if, yeah, if I can add to that. So uh, crypto winter, it, it took the entire industry by a bit of a storm. And uh, uh, we saw a slowdown in our business. And all, I think all businesses saw a slowdown uh, since since the crash from 20K to 3600. 30, um, but the reality is that the end users are adopting it more and more. The corporate world is adopting it. Uh, and uh, there's really... Uh, you know, just just a little bit of feedback from the mining space. Uh, I think we're going to see more crypto winters in the near future. Uh, they're probably not going to be as prolonged as the one that we've seen uh, in the past. I, I think this timeline is going to be a lot shorter. Uh, it's something that we can't expect, but I don't think that uh, the growth of businesses being built around blockchain and distributed ledger, ledger technology is going to slow down at this point. I think at this point, uh, the overall understanding in the industry that it's here to stay and it's not going away and it's going to continue growing uh, is causing businesses to figure out how do we adapt to the space and how do we, uh, if I'm an existing business today, uh, how do I add crypto blockchain into uh, my existing business? And uh, I, I think just the use cases are going to begin increasing and, and a lot and I, I think the adoption is going to spread to your regular uh, assets and everyday products I, I think that in the very near future we're going to see tokenization of uh, uh, assets that you would actually see in your supermarket uh, so when you, when you go to buy milk I think you're going to start seeing things like milk coins and they're going to start separating bre uh, brands one from the other and the ones that will adopt it will actually grow faster than the remaining the ones that do not that would be very interesting if we go from 2016 to milk coins in 2021. That would be a, a pretty extraordinary story. Well, imagine like going to a supermarket and, uh, and you have a choice of 10 different brands of milk. Which one do you choose? The one that has a crypto reward attached to it or uh, one of the other brands? Would it be a purely tokenization aspect or is there also some kind of... Um, like transparency element to the supply chain of side, side of things. Well, I, I think that industry has a whole different level of evolution that it needs to face. And I think that 
just the same way that we've been seeing evolution for the past, probably actively for the past four or five years. Uh, we're going to see the same thing. We're going to have smaller brands that are going to adapt it faster. They're going to try it out. They're, there's going to be some successful use cases. And those successful use cases are then going to be adapted by the bigger brands that move a lot slower than the, the smaller guys. But I think then in the process, uh, there's going to be a lot of smaller guys that are going to become the big guys. Hmm. Honey, may I ask a question to Dennis? Yeah, Dennis, sure. Um, you, you spoke about your expectation that there will be another crypto winter. And, and that actually refers uh, to something I get asked a lot, but I'm not so much into trading. So I abstain from, from answering to those questions, but maybe you have one. So what would be a good time for a not crypto person to actually enter the space and buy the first Bitcoin? Is it now or shall they rather wait until the next dip and then enter the space? What would That's be well, maybe both of your recommendations? I, 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 I think any time. Uh, the reality is that, uh, and, you know, and we, we, how many times have we witnessed the fall of Bitcoin? Uh, I, I, I forgot how, like I've seen just recently, but I think there's been like, uh, there, there's like some kind of a stat of how many tombstone, uh, tombstones Bitcoin owns, and it's like 20 different tombstones where people say, okay, that's it, it's yeah. completely gone, it's fraud, it's, uh, it's not real, but it's not, it's here to stay. So you can come in now as long as you understand that um, you're here for the long run. Uh, and by the long run, uh, uh, it's really hard to say if it's ever going to go away. Personally, uh, I, in my personal opinion, I don't give investing uh, advice at all. But if you do have funds for investment and you're not investing at least a small percentage of those funds into cryptocurrency and primarily Bitcoin, you're losing out. Very well said. That's understood. The, the question is rather, <laughs> what is the best timing? <clears throat> Any day, today, right now. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's the reality. You yeah. should go and buy. If you have the funds to invest into something, allocate a percentage of those funds. And, uh, you know, you never invest into one uh, into a single asset anyways. Uh, if you're if you're into investing, if you look at your uh, your your typical uh, investment advisor, they, they will not. Uh, they'll, they'll spread your funds across various assets. Uh, you should have a percentage of your investment funds allocated to crypto and primarily, in my opinion, Bitcoin and Ethereum. So Dar, would you add anything to that? Do you think there's a, a right time or a wrong time to invest in crypto? Mm, the right time is always yesterday if someone asks today. So I also, <laughs> also confirm, I confirm to Denny's opinion. I mean, I get asked since 2016 when's the right time and it's it, it depends i think because i cannot uh, like dennis said i think we should uh, say this once now for the whole call this is no financial advice yeah and we are not your financial advisor basically but um you can see it from different perspectives so you can see it from a fundamental perspective so there there are people into bitcoin without caring about the price let's say it like this and there are people into Bitcoin um, to have more dollar tomorrow uh, and again, zero Bitcoin. So we have to differentiate that. After a surge of 200, 300%, it's most probably not the best idea for short-term buying uh, in case of trading um, because the probability of a correction gets higher and higher and higher. Also, we see some, I don't want to go too much into, into trading, but we see some signs that it's the momentum was over at 40k and that the momentum is shifting slowly down or to an accumulation so it doesn't need to mean that bitcoin is going down a short uh, correction of ten thousand dollar in two days which can happen at the moment as you 
saw in two weeks ago or one week ago, mm -hmm. we had a correction of uh, $41,000 to $31,000 in just a matter of two days. And I agree completely with Dennis that we will have a lot of crypto winters coming and it will happen every time, all time. So we will have a correction. Question is always when. And the question is, do you take uh, advantage of it? Because people mostly wait for these dips and then they say, ah, now it's back up $1,000. So I will wait again. And they usually never come into the process of buying the Bitcoins itself. Um, and if you just see it as in scarce asset, which doesn't even have 20 million pieces in the whole world, um, I mean, it makes sense for everyone to own a little piece, at least, like um, already said, a little part of your investing portfolio should be in Bitcoin, Ethereum already since years. And if it's not done yet, then the best time is today and uh, in the upcoming days and weeks to maybe dollar cost average and always have a little a little buy to get the best average price as for a long-term investor there's nothing more than this to do and don't sell it again don't try to trade if you're just that long-term investor so many people asking me hey my bitcoins which you said i should buy is now up it's doubled what should i do can i sell and buy it again if it's cheaper Yes, you can, but I cannot tell you if it, if it gets cheaper. So mostly just hold it. If you are a long-term investor, if you are a believer, whatever, just hold it. The market will always be more intelligent than you are if you are not skilled enough or experienced enough in this niche. Let's say it like this. If, if, I, if you don't mind, I'd like to add to this really quickly too. So I, I think the modern trading changed uh, a lot. Uh, I, I think, and I think the shift is once again taking place now. Your modern trader should not be comparing your dollar to USD, Euro, or any other local currency. Exactly. Your goal should be to accumulate more Bitcoin. And that's sure. the reality. Uh, you're not trading back to see how much dollars you're going to get. You're trading so that you can have more of uh, the, the core asset. I think that's really smart. And they've also talked a lot about how the how Bitcoin is decoupling from the US dollar, which many people do compare it to, but it's kind of a, an apples and oranges. If you're looking at the US dollar value, it's not necessarily indicative of the of the strength of Bitcoin. I want to talk a little bit about reg the regulation side of things. As Milda mentioned at the beginning, notably, it's not the only place, but Estonia really cracked down this year on their anti-money laundering regulation. It was almost in direct response to the Dunks bank, bank scandal where nearly $200 billion were laundered through an Estonian branch. Um, Estonia has had been up until that point kind of a crypto haven. It was very easy to establish a company also because of their e-residency program. You didn't have to be there physically. And with the AML restrictions, 500 companies had their license revoked, which is roughly 30% of the entire crypto space um, within the country. And we are seeing a push for KYC, Know Your Customer and AML regulations to be implemented into crypto platforms. But then there's also been pushback from the community around these measures as well. Sadar, you at Tycoon have chosen to implement a KYC mandatory policy. Maybe you could start us off with why you guys have chosen to take that approach uh, and what you hope to achieve by having a KYC mandatory policy 
Yeah, sure. So there's two different ways uh, how you can see this and two different uh, reasons why we chose KYC. Mandatory, at least for the trader, it should be mandatory anyway, anywhere, but it's not. So first things first, we talked with uh, just last week, we had a call again with our legal advisory board and we talked about how important it is at the moment to be compliant to the rules of tomorrow. Uh, so as of now, you would not really need it um, for crypto to crypto things only and whatsoever. Don't want to say something wrong. First thing is uh, the compliance thing. To be compliant, we are in the European Union. I mean, I'm in Cyprus right now, which is also the European Union. Um, we want to act in the European Union. We want to have customers in the European Union. And even uh, for other countries, it's important to, reg uh, to comply with the AML rules. So mostly it's about the AML rules to be really aware of who is your customer. Uh, and for us, um, we even had the KYC implementation before this compliance stuff came in. So 2017, 18, when we made some first drafts and plans, it was already in the first uh, plans that uh, KYC will be mandatory and it has a business case perspective reason more than the compliance reason, but it just adds up to each other. So we at Tycoon, we want to prevent fraud in any way uh, in the cryptocurrency trading space. We basically started doing this to prevent people from getting scammed, to prevent people from losing their own money by trying to trade. It's like trying to cut your hair. You can just do it once. If it's gone, then it's gone. Huh? <laughs> Same with trading. So don't try to do it on your own because you maybe could do it. Um, and in our case, the KYC prevents mostly from false information. So if I'm as a trader on some platform, <clears throat> I could name all of them because none of them need KYC mandatory as of now, the important ones. And we are a copy trading, sort of social trading platform. That means you need to rely on the data that we give you about the trader. And if that trader can just go ahead and create a new account uh, without needing a KYC and whatsoever after losing 80% for the fifth time, um, then I would count this to fraud. And also not uh, this is not secure enough for the followers, which should be the most secured customer in this whole cryptocurrency trading niche so that the end user, the retail customer, the dad of a family and the small guy that they don't lose money, let's say on purpose. And if someone wants to hide his trading activity, for example, he can do that on any platform which has no KYC. Um, we offer the trader the option to be anonymous to the outside, but he needs to verify himself to the company itself. And also on the other side, when it comes to the followers, KYC, that's mainly policy reasons, for example, but I see also many other advantages. So not only policy, but also ensuring that people don't uh, start with fraud or try to take things serious. Because if you have a trader and you tell him, hey, you just have one shot to this. So if you lose this account because of fraud and whatsoever, you can just be blocked, then they should take it much more serious than like it is right now, any exchange account where you can just open with an email address. I think it has a good and a bad. We try to use the good for our customers and, and followers in the end. Nina, I'd love to hear from you as well as you have quite literally written legislation around blockchain. How do you see the space where it is right now and how it's progressing? Do you see that there will be more kind of proactive approaches like Sadars has mentioned at Tycoon instead of the reactive now that the there truly is the legislation, the rules, as you mentioned, the rules are in place. I'd love to just hear a little bit from you about what the current state of the regulation is in the in the space. 
Well, the, the current regulation really develops at fast pace. I mean, you, you all will have noticed the draft market in crypto asset regulation, which the European Commission has just published in September last year, and which is under uh, high debate uh, right now. And that will bring even more businesses, service providers in the crypto space into the financial regulation or in a sort of financial regulation and encumber them with AML obligations as well. So I'm pretty sure, you know, regulation in that regard will tight, tighten. And um, we in Germany, we used to gold plate any European regulation anyway. So <laughs> we have, I guess, higher standards uh, already. Uh, also in Germany, most of those services that you just described uh, are already regulated and require a um, financial license to be undertaken. So they are, in, if they would be in Germany, already um, under all of those regulations. And for example, for us, there is a given set of verification mechanisms which are accepted. And that creates a kind of a problem for a lot of digital businesses um, trying to enter the German space because it's not sufficient that you simply forward a copy of your passport or your electricity bill and then you're identified. That's not how it works here, right? So in, in Germany, you must either pop out in person and, and show your passport, and you can do that in a post office, for example, right? Uh, or you need to uh, go through what we call the video ID procedure. So where there is actually uh, some uh, somebody on the other line um, of the video and, and actually checking if, if you're the one that you claim to be. So there is, except for the EID procedure, which relies upon the chip on the new passports, there is no true digitized verification procedure in place to identify uh, customers. And that obviously is creating hurdles for the market entry. Uh, I actually have a follow-up question to this, to Nina, and actually maybe everyone. So if there would be one rule, one piece of regulation that everyone would have to adhere to make crypto space just a safer space, what would it be? I'm afraid that there will be no single rule uh, available. I believe that, you know, trustworthy digital identities are really, really important and we need to create standards around that. Um, EIDAS was trying to move a bit into that direction, but the problem with EIDAS is that uh, every EU country can notify its own system. Uh, so we still have like 27 different uh, systems in place and that needs to be harmonized. And on the other side, we need more protection of privacy because obviously, you know, clear personal IDs come with a threat that everything you do, every step that you take in the internet is completely transparent. So that's, you know, the, the both competing ends to, to that issue. And, and we need to find a balanced way in between those two goals. I think what's happening in the crypto space is that regulators are applying banking standards to crypto. And I know that there is a fine line between where crypto lives and where banks live. And, and let's take into mind that banks have existed for hundreds of years. Uh, and granted, yeah, technology is still has been not complying, yeah. 
yeah, and, and we're we're kind of we're kind of not not complaining. Yes, uh, in in some ways, but uh, but the reality is that regulators need to take into account that banks have existed. They already have a, an existing financial infrastructure, and whether we like it or not, they rule this world. And uh, crypto, in a way, is uh, um, I, I think the services that are so. First of all, we're a software development company that builds uh, a blockchain crypto trading products from exchanges to wallets where they're held, uh, where the funds are held to converters that allow to exchange one crypto for another. If you take a look in the space, and uh, uh, I, I think that crypto to crypto trading should not be a required process for passing KYC. It should be a source. It should be uh, the choice of the business, how they want to provision, how they envision themselves as a service to the end user. Now, when it comes to fiat, so if you choose to introduce fiat into your crypto trading, any type of service, then obviously you should adhere to all the existing regulations that exist in the fiat space. But the problem here is that uh, this regulation coming into place just took a bunch of very likely legit businesses out of business. And, and, and is that the type of face that the regulators want to put forth uh, for the industry? I, I mean, to me, they're curbing the growth in the space and they're curbing innovation. Because uh, I get to see a lot of uh, uh, requirements for really interesting projects, but you know what happens to them? They they can't they can't they they never come to life because they're so highly regulated <laughs> already, and the space is only like five years old. That's absolutely uh, right. But I I, I hear um, that that's history. This space will be regulated, and the reason actually um, uh, we need also to look into. Uh, our community ourselves, right? We made a lot of mistakes. We didn't fight strongly enough against fraud and scams. So that's why the regulators now step up. So it's not only, you know, that they are trying to stifle innovation and push us uh, back behind um, uh, the well-known uh, banks and financial services companies. It's rather that we had not been able to get these issues out of our space on our own. And now they are stepping up and they are using exactly the same toolbox as they have developed over decades for the financial services industry. And why are they doing this? Well, because this is tradable. If we wouldn't make the stuff tradable, you know, they wouldn't do it. But due to the fact that there is one main purpose of this whole stuff is trading, that's why they simply apply the rules they, they have built. And I, I partially agree with you. I personally really regret seeing that real industry use cases will be captured by that. And I think that's not right. Why should a, a voucher for a service or a product be so highly regulated just because it's in a token format compared yeah. to other digital formats? I think that is, is not right. But unfortunately, what I see happening is all of that stuff will be <laughs> caught by, by the new regulation. But, but don't you think that regulators should take some uh, more of a time-friendly approach towards issuing new regulations? So they, you know, they're regulating a space that is fairly new uh, and businesses that have potentially invested their life savings in order for them to operate today. Don't you think that there should be some kind of a timeline that should be issued for them to become compliant? And it should be like an extended timeline, considering the fact that, uh, you know, you look at Goldman Sachs and the, and, 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 uh, uh, the penalties they paid this past year for uh, KYC AML uh, um, violations wow. is billions of dollars. It's insane. Uh, and they can afford to do that. But who are they making the money on? They're making their money on the end user. 
and, and they've been doing that for uh, for how many years of their operation and stacking that money. They can afford to do that. Now we're talking about, you know, a team of guys, girls, you know, there are maybe a handful of people that put together their money to launch a business because the regulation didn't exist. And now they tell them as of, you know, next month, the first of the month, here's the new regulation, become compliant. Mm -hmm. And what do you do? You lose everything that you've invested into the company, your time, your money, your reputation is gone. Well, it's actually not that quick, right? So the legislative process will take, I would say, at least another two years. Um, and then at least partially there is foreseen a 18 months grandfathering period in addition to that. I so see. there is, is quite some time available to adopt. And um, we are also fighting, you know, within INATPA, the um, industry association that had been mentioned in the beginning. Uh, we're really, you know, fighting hard for getting that grandfathering extended uh, also to those areas for which they currently do not apply it, according to the, the draft. And I can only invite you, you know, join forces with our membership base there and, and let's get one strong voice out of the community, out to the European Commission and to the European Parliament to convince them that uh, we need a bit more flexibility and that maybe simply blindly applying all the rules uh, that have been developed for the financial services industry does not really make sense for the crypto space. So, um, you know, that there should be uh, certain distinctions uh, being made. I appreciate that. And I've actually, I, I was not aware that there's an 18 month policy for a grandfathering policy that's actually in place. That's actually, that's amazing. No, that's, it's, 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 it will come with a new regulation, with, which is proposed right now and so on. That's Germany. I mean, in two years, it will look different again. Our <laughs> European Union. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, as a software development company that specializes in this line of products, we actually recommend everyone uh, that they are compliant from the very beginning. Uh, so we, we produced more than 100 exchanges ourselves in the past four years. And we have seen a lot of them uh, looking at this regulation. They're like, we're going to close down. There's no way that we will be compliant. More than 90% which are at the moment working and onboarding German customers, in my opinion, 1995. I don't know one exchange which is complying right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's say it like yeah, this. That's yeah. the reason, you know, they're, they're, um, I think there are only two licenses out in, in, in Germany and everybody else is trying to escape um, by using um, the uh, negative freedom of services, of the passive uh, freedom of services and how long that will work that's also in doubt, you know, if you accept more than a certain percentage or a number of German customers, then it will be difficult to argue in that way. Yeah, with the advice that we've always given is try to, uh, so uh, US imposed strict regulation for operation uh, initially. And the advice that we've always given is just follow their example. If it's, if it's not compliant in US, don't build it that way. Mm -hmm. That's why I think conversations like this can be so valuable to share with the community when you can actually show that regulation and that starting the company in this space can exist harmoniously. And I do think that the kind of uh, proactive approach instead of the reactive approach is just something that needs to be adopted. Understanding that the legislation in the space is something that is going to continue to evolve so we've talked about some of the kind of headlines, trends of 2020. What do you all expect to be some of the more significant trends or technical advancements in the crypto space in 2021? Dennis, do you want to kick us off? 
Sure. Uh, I, my personal opinion for the space that that I that I'm that I'm very familiar with, it's whatever Binance is going to build uh, in 2021 and uh, CZ's team. Uh, but my favorite project uh, that I really like to watch is called The Good Dollar. It's a it's a it's an interesting project. There's a, there's a, a lot of really big groups and backers behind it, but the reality behind the project it's it's the first step to initiating a, a global income. And uh, I, I, I'm personally a really big fan of the idea. Uh, I know that a U.S. presidential candidate uh, introduced it in U.S. and it obviously didn't get him elected. But uh, uh, and, and he kind of coined the term global income. But global income means literally every person living in, on our planet. And uh, good dollars, uh, literally, that their project is to create is to take the first step towards creation of such an income for every person living on our planet. And that's Dar- very interesting. Yeah. I think in general, I'm not going into one uh, project especially, but I think the DeFi space will be very hot again this year. So last year, I think this was just a short sneak peek onto what DeFi can do. Also very interesting in regards of that regulations and compliance and whatsoever. DeFi, I would say, is completely on the other side of the sea, mostly. So most DeFi projects are not taking care of the compliance first because it's it should be DeFi, so decentralized finance, finance so no one mostly uh, seems to be um, responsible. I think that needs to change, so quality needs to go above quantity. Last year, we just had a quantity rush in DeFi, and we saw assets under management or uh, total value locked, I think, at the moment, way beyond $10, $20 billion dollars which is a already small part of the cryptocurrency market cap and ethereum with the new ethereum 2.0 staking helped a lot with that to to bind money into contracts and with that also the market gets gets more scarce one more thing where i'm very excited about i don't think this will come this year i'm not sure maybe nina has more infos to this i think this can take some while until i see security token exchanges evolving and getting regulated as they should and becoming new exchanges uh, like uh, exchange in frankfurt or wall street so i'm really looking forward to that time when that happens because i think this is opening a complete new chapter and yeah i think that's the next big thing in uh, cryptocurrency to see security tokens evolving and through that also real life business getting into the assets in cryptocurrency yeah if i may add to that i also see that this that, that, that there are many attempts undertaken mm-hmm. to keep new projects out of the regulated space so defi Uh, is a big wave which will be caught by regulation sooner or later Um, and a lot of projects strive hard to actually reach a degree of decentralization that the regulators accepted that there is no service provider in the form of a legal or natural person anymore Mm -hmm. and if there is nobody actually undertaking that service but if it's just there because the code is published, then regulation can actually not uh, kick in. And there are uh, a lot of concepts nowadays which include council concepts. You know, we are seeing that in a number of, of current projects. And the big question is, will that be sufficient to argue a complete decentralization? Or is that what I 
like to see as an um, extension or growing up of uh, the original DAO concept, uh, does that actually brings back in a type of legal entity, which I like to call the default entity uh, type. In, in Germany, we would call it civil law partnership. In other jurisdictions, you may use the term unincorporated entity or association. And, and these are the questions which I'm very much interested in. I think that's exciting to see, you know, this attempt to, to really create something decentralized. But on the other hand, currently, I think we still need to acknowledge that a certain amount of, you know, human input is still needed uh, for all of those projects. And as long as that is there, it's actually not that decentralized. So that's really exciting to see, you know, where the where is the line between the regulated and the unregulated uh, world out there? It would actually be a great lead-in to one of the questions that came from the community. It doesn't seem like regulation of cryptocurrencies and their trading or investing can actually live harmoniously. Convince me otherwise. We have people on kind of both sides. So if you were asked that question from someone, is there a simple answer? Can the two actually live harmoniously? I, I think not. Because the reality is that uh, the dark net still exists and uh, it's still populated. And the reality, it's just going to draw the fine line between who's, who is on which side. The reality is, uh, uh, you know, uh, human hacking is the new trend. You're no longer hacking technology. It's actually, you can't hack Bitcoin. Uh, you can hack a bank, but you can't hack Bitcoin. Uh, you can't hack a lot of uh, distributed ledger projects. But human hacking is, is the new trend. I've been a part of experiments uh, where uh, I've actually witnessed it in action. So you, we would set up friends to actually uh, undergo this experiment without their knowledge and get their data and get their information everything and uh and and it was like it, it was unbelievable because three out of five people fell for it and guys that are in in like financial space guys that are in blockchain space uh so uh yeah i i don't i don't i don't think they can coexist i, I think kyc aml element is 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 needed uh, i think how is being regulated uh it's uh i i you know i want to add i i think it's really it's really what blockchain space has done in, in, in advancing financial technologies. There's been some really great revolutions for the KYC AML services. And uh, if you look, uh, and I just watched it over the past five years, uh, KYC AML as a third party service is a lot more affordable today than it used to be. You know, I've integrated your, you know, your identity minds and your experience and, and uh, a lot of other KYC, probably a dozen or more KYC providers and over the years. And I've, I've actually literally watched the space, just the, the cost. So what Authentech does, the AI KYC process, that's actually very unique. Uh, and uh, it's revolutionary and allows to offer that service for a much more affordable price than a manual, uh, than, than the human review mm -hmm. documents can actually ever do it. Uh, you know, um, I really like the, the, the progress that the space has made and how much more affordable it is today. But still, uh, for a lot of projects, even the cost of uh, KYC AML being required uh, for their exchange or platform or converter, or whatever it is, uh, it still puts them outside of the affordability range because your typical exchange puts them in, in, in an area where a much bigger business should be sponsoring the project today. So they, they like, you know, your five 
people that want to invest 20K into a business, build the software and operate it are not able to start a business today like they were able to do it five years ago. You are aware that uh, IDAS is currently under review. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and I think you, you should raise, or we all should raise our voice and, and try to get, you know, more uh, modern and and self-sovereign identity-based ideas into that regulation. And also on, on the German side, um, currently the uh, guidance um, regarding video ident procedures is under review. That's also an opportunity uh, to take influence and um, maybe also to make more known that AI procedures are maybe already at least as reliable as the human Uh, checking of the identities of people and so that you could maybe get away this requirement of a synchronous procedure with humans on both sides at the same time because that really prevents uh, the digitization of the verification mechanisms um, at least here mm. in Germany. So I think this is the right time to step up and yeah and, and, and really explain how far this space has developed by now. Regarding this, I would uh, add maybe one or two things and also have a question. So to Nina, you said several times already, we should uh, raise our voices, maybe for us and for the community who is seeing this. Do you know where and how to raise the voices? As director of INATPA, I can only, you know, I, mu I must invite you to join INATPA. That's the International Association of Trusted Blockchain Applications, mm -hmm. which had been formed um, about two years ago upon the initiative of the European Commission, uh, who said, you know, we need a, a, a strong unified voice of that industry because everybody is stepping up to us singly, trying to convince us in this and that direction. Please, mm -hmm. you know, get together, discuss things and then, you know, come up with a unified voice. And that's what um, INAPA is, is trying to do. And um, they built it in a way that uh, INATBA is designed as a communication vehicle between the governmental side. So we have a strong governmental advisory body and uh, the academic side. On the other hand, um, there's also a, a quite large by now um, academic advisory body and then the membership, which is the industry like you. And they are working together in uh, a number of working groups. Currently, obviously, identity, privacy and finance uh, are pretty strong um, and are debating quite a lot about the current developments and um, forming opinions, which are then uh, issued to the public authorities. You know, there are further bodies out there, um, further great initiatives uh, also who mm. we collaborate with. Yeah, if you want to be heard uh, and, and discuss with the industry, join us at DINATPA. Thank you. And one other thing would be regarding that KYC and verification, which is at least in Germany still needs a second person, human, on the other hand, uh, on the other side, but more on the regu regulation side, at least in Germany. It has a, a lot of goods. No way to say anything against that. It has so many good things about re being regulated and stuff. But for example, like uh, also Nina said, it would make sense to make this all digital and uh, not depending on the person because if we see it as a on a logical scale which i'm a fan of in the everyday life to see everything kind of logic and neutral the person on the other side who talks to you and who gets paid eight euro 50 an hour to sit there and to talk to people just sees the same thing as 
authentic mechanism because it's the same camera which is on it's the same microphone which is on it cannot be 3d because someone sits on the other side it's still the same picture and it's always showing the same ideas with the same nice reflecting pictures and i'm pretty sure that this can be catched by ai very quickly very easily and the regulator hopefully sees okay if alex can say that this is a real ID, then our AI can also say that this is a real ID, maybe even better. In my opinion, it would be even better and more precise if the technology is there, which I think it is. So I'm really looking forward also in Germany and Europe that this gets accepted quicker to be fully compliant, even with that kind of uh, verification. The easiest solution would be the ID on blockchain, obviously, but I think we are, we are far away from that to have that globally or even in a bigger range in the same. So it can be one project trying something. I think Netherlands tried something, Estonia tried something, but I think we're far away that all of them agree, yes, that's the blockchain where we will have our IDs. And to verify yourself, you just need to confirm a smart contract uh, action, for example, which uh, would confirm my identity in two seconds and no one else could do it because I only have this token. But yeah, I think that's... Uh, Future music, this is what we say in Germany. What is really important is um, to recognize that it's not only about comparing pictures, right? Yes, That's one element. Sure. Yeah. And the other element, which our regulators typically um, highlight, is um, the human capability of actually challenging the one sitting in front of the camera by asking surprising questions or alike. And I'm not sure if the AI currently built is already taking that into account. But if it would, you know, it, it, it would be easier to argue that we don't need uh, the synchronous uh, structures. And anymore. even if it doesn't, it can in the future, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So I think yeah. we, that's why I'm mentioning it, you know. Perfect. Yeah. It's still kind of a uh, actually good dollar project. That's actually what they're doing. Uh, that's uh, they're unifying uh, human ID on a on a blockchain. That's the end goal of that project. That's why I really like one of the reasons, other than basic universal income. But the cost of service goes up threefold if you have a person behind the KYC process. Yeah. And the other the other issue with it is there's a lot of people who are just shy. They don't want to talk to another person. They they live in their little digital space. That's where they're happy in, and they don't they don't want to talk to another person. They don't want to be. They don't want to feel like they're going through an interview. Uh, when they're passing KYC, they, they want to automate everything. So yeah, to me, to me, uh, uh, I I wouldn't want to use a service where I have to dial in and talk to a person in order for me to get approved on that service. I, I mean, I would just skip it altogether. I would find something else. I actually agree as an international who had to onboard to several platforms in Germany. Most of the people that are working behind the screen, they don't speak English. They feel super uncomfortable and therefore I couldn't open my bank accounts without pretending that I can speak German and writing myself a script. However, if at one point there would be AI who also recognizes voice, that could be extremely beneficial for everyone to like open up the border sort of and start protecting their like, okay, we have this web ID verification versus another one. And I think it's just the the algorithms and also the the same as people they can be biased you know and like especially people are biased so if you don't speak the native language you immediately get disqualified from opening a bank account even though you're an EU citizen you're extremely legit your passport is there you are there and it's just it makes the this video I think makes it very exclusive to a nation you know when we are part of European Union ecosystem 
So I think that's where the the rise of AI and maybe at one point the rise of the voice recognition will, you know, sort of merge and it will help uh, verify identities, I think. Um, would at be scale. A, at scale, exactly. Yeah, at some point we'll certainly be there, I'm sure. <laughs> thank you very much for the discussion and thank you, Carly, for leading it. And thank you all to all of the participants. It was a great talk and I'm very excited to share it with the community and with all of you. Yet again, thank you for your time. A huge thank you for the really interesting discussion first thing in the morning. The Identity Masters podcast is an Authentech production. To learn more about Authentech, head to our website at Authentech.com.